the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter next to Billy Jensen. And I am the only person that's not hung over today. Woo! That is true. That is true. And it's... It's interesting because Jack gets hung over from only a few drinks. I know. So it is very, it's an odd happening. I know. I just, I, I'm never the person that's not hung over in a group of people. It's, right? the, it's like opposite day. It is opposite day. Mm-hmm. But we were all drinking Prosecco and I'm trying to help you guys. Thank little you. hair mm-hmm. of the dog. Um, it is February 13th, a day before Valentine's Day, which is the bullshittiest day of the year. But it uh, is also what day, Billy? Happy Madly in Love with Me Day. <laughs> Now, this is what happens because you do have Valentine's Day on the 14th of the 13th. Somebody created Happy Madly in Love with Me Day because you're going to be defiant if you don't have a date on Valentine's Day. But I also like the fact that it's also Happy National Tortellini Day so you can drown your sorrows in carbs and some pasta. Big Bowl big bowl of carbs. I liked Happy Extraterrestrial Culture Day. Okay, that is a day made for you. It is. I should have worn my space buns. You love buns. aliens. I do. You haven't done the space buns in a bit. I haven't. I thought at 30, almost two years old, it might be time to retire them, but maybe not. It's not. Maybe not. Disagree. Do you believe in the UFOs and the UFO hunting? Yeah. It's my main goal in life to see a UFO. I have yet to see one. Really? Yeah. Should do you? Hang out with the guy from Blink-182. Oh, God. Tom along, he is a budget crazy. Yeah. <laughs> But I bet he has a good first degree story. I Probably. just bet he does. Yeah. He got abducted and probed something by like, aliens. Yeah, but he it definitely has to deal got with abducted. Some we need to do an abduction story. I would love that. An alien abduction. No. Not- I love that. <laughs> Which, by the way, anybody listening, if you need a uh, true crime documentary to watch, Abducted in Plain Sight is the fucking craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Bad recreations, incredible story. Yeah, incredible story. Bad recreations. <laughs> yeah. But you can get through that with the fact that this is the craziest story I've ever heard. All right. Shall we? We shall. Alexis, take it away. So today we have a very interesting story and it's kind of not sibling rivalry gone awry, but it's a very strange case, one that I've never really heard of. Because normally cases fit, I would say, like an archetype where it's like a jealous lover or, or greed. This is something I just haven't really observed before. But we're going to start it a little differently. We're going to start it by explaining who the main players are so it doesn't get too complicated and confusing down the line. So we have Elizabeth Hawes. She's one of the siblings. Edwin Hawes, another sibling, and Andrew Hawes, three siblings in the same family. Then there's Daniel, who is Elizabeth's husband, Mm -hmm. and Christina, who is Andrew's girlfriend. So these are the main players in this story. We wanted to tell you who they were and their relationship to each other off the bat so you could follow because these are the important names to know in this case. But now we'll actually get into the case now that you know who everybody is. So the Hawses, Elizabeth, Edwin, and Andrew, all owned and operated and worked at the family landscaping business. So they basically had this family lawn business that they owned and operated for like 20 years. Yes. And just because it's a landscaping business, 
you know what? If it's if it was a it, the, the story is so crazy, stay with us. It could be a cosmetics business that everybody would love this story. It would probably be on TV, right? But it's a landscaping business. <laughs> no, but yeah. it was super lucrative. Not you'll, you'll hear, yes. I mean, it was a multi-million dollar business. Yes. yes. So there was a lot of money involved. This isn't um, like a low brow story. So just hang in there. But as far as let's talk about what Elizabeth Haas was doing. In addition to being involved on the periphery of this landscaping business, she was really into theater and was in all these theater shows and doing all these improv plays. And apparently there's like a huge theater thing in Minnesota. Who knew? (laughs) But there's some uh, background on this. And we have luckily two first degree connections to Elizabeth Haas in this story. Two wonderful women, Kat and George, who's also a woman despite oh love the name george for a girl yeah it's a great name so we are going to introduce you to them now i'm kat perkins and uh my best friend is george keller elizabeth haas was our friend and co-worker um in the theater business when i first met elizabeth i feel like it was about 2006 um, she came into our or my life because she was a friend of my best friend, George. And George would throw these um, kind of like girl parties. We called it, you know, our, our like girl guild. And we would have these um, you know, brainstorming parties. And we were all freelance um, entertainers and singers and actors. And so I, I remember distinctly the first day that I met Elizabeth. I thought she was very funny. I thought she was very opinionated. And, um, you know, if, if you, when you come in contact with a lot of entertainers or performers, um, a lot of times they feel like they need to be on with you when you're in a setting. And she was definitely like that. But she genuinely made me laugh. And I felt like she was, you know, a really genuine person. And I, and I really enjoyed her. I am George Keller, and I'm an actress in the Twin Cities of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I'd heard about this person um, before I actually met her, Elizabeth Hawes. She's a she's an awesome, you know, funny woman. She's like a one of a kind person. She's um, she has this cute way of talking. Like she has this voice that's kind of grainy when she's like sort of talking and. Um, she goes, she can go like in and out of that one to like, it's like a really cute voice to like, or just a really normal voice. So she's always like full of character all the time. So our first degree connection for this episode is Kat Perkins. She reached out to us via DM. Was that how she... It was email or DM. I can't Email remember. or DM, um, which we read everything that you guys send us. But she was actually a contestant on The Voice season six, which is kind of cool. We love that. Yeah, we love The Voice. Um, but yeah, she was in theater productions. Right. With- she did a bunch of plays with Elizabeth Hawes and... Georgie and Kat are best friends. So it's interesting, too. We're going to bounce back and forth between their two perspectives. And you're going to see they they have interpretations of the same event. They have different vantage points, which mm. is really awesome. So we love when things like this happen. We can in- include more than one perspective. We're always excited to do that. Camera A, camera B. Exactly. So one of the most overwhelming experiences is trying to figure out what vitamins that you should be taking and then trying to go to like the drugstore and pick them all out. It's so overwhelming. I just end up walking out the front door. And that's why we love one of our sponsors, 
care of. They're a subscription vitamin service that takes all of the work out for you. So basically what you do is you go online and you take their fun online quiz and it asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices. It only takes five minutes and you find out your personal scientifically backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. It can be really hard to know what vitamins and supplements you should be taking, but they make it super easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. They deliver daily vitamin and supplement packs customized to your recommendations to promote personal health and wellness. And your subscription box gets sent right to your door every month with personalized daily packs with your name on them. And it's great for a busy on-the-go lifestyle. So if you want to check it out, go to takecareof.com and enter code DEGREE50 for 50% off your first month of personalized vitamins. That's takecareof.com. Enter promo code DEGREE50 for 50% off your first month. The Haas family. That's sort of what this entire case is focused on and surrounds. So the entire thing kind of started with a family feud. Everything was good and cl- wonderful in paradise at the ha- in I'm Minnesota. Sure it wasn't. <laughs> well, no families are perfect, but things were good. They had this la- lucrative landscaping business, three siblings, you know, just a happy family. Right. So this whole family feud started when the mother of these three kids discovered that Edwin, one of the siblings, um all the family stocks, a retirement fund, and even a burial fund, all that were entrusted to Edwin had completely disappeared. He'd been granted the power of attorney over his now 100-year-old grandmother years earlier, and her stocks have been sold without the grandmother's approval. And when this discovery was made, the family believed that their family matriarch had stocks at the value up to $600,000. I wish that I had that same to take one day. And in addition to the depleted estate alone had also been taken out in the grandmother's name or on the grandmother's home and her prepaid burial fund had disappeared. So all that shit is long gone. Okay. So there's more though. So when they looked at the financials of the landscaping business, when they look closely, it, they discovered that a million dollars had been embezzled from the business over time, which is, you know, this is really jarring, and I'm sure they're finding this stuff out in pieces, the other hauses, mm-hmm. because this is all supposed to be shared money or, or money that goes into an estate that you could maybe inherit one day. And I mean, this is a, this is a lot of money we're talking about. It's a yeah. lot of money. Mm-hmm. And after finding out about the missing money, Edwin's mother checked what had been this $20,000 retirement fund for her and her husband that, that Edwin Hawes had been handling, and there was maybe like 2 or $3 in that account. And I remember learning immediately how much she um, had personal drama. In fact, I feel like I met her very, very close to her father's suicide. Her dad had suicide not too long before I had actually met her. So she was very open about that. She talked about that. And with that circumstance sort of came the story about why she thought her father committed suicide. She blamed her older her brother, um, and there was um, this this family company that was in play. It was a landscaping company. I've definitely had my share of family drama, but I've never had a family member, you know, embezzle money. And it was very hard to connect with that sort of, um, you know, disloyalty that was happening within the family. Not only that, uh, we we knew that she had previously loved her brother. Like she was, she called him her best friend. They were very close growing up so I think it was very shocking to her when it started to happen and she found out about it um, that he was capable of that 
she was lost. She felt lost without him. And of course, after her father had committed suicide, you know, she they they were leaning on each other until until they found out this awful information. The summer after her dad had committed suicide, I remember sitting out on her front steps and she was just in a really shitty mood. And I was like, "What's up?" And she's like, "I uh, like she was like shaken, cranky, mad." And that's when she said to me, um, "My brother is." You know, he's f***ing with my entire family. He's, he's, um, he, then she told me the whole story. He took all my mom's, or my, all my grandma's money. My grandma, they had like a million dollars. And, um, I was like, oh wow, you're, they were rich. And she's like, no, they were just really good at saving money. So they worked really hard to make this money. And that was sort of the idea and why I think she was also so angry. All of a sudden, grandma's completely broke. The money from her burial, like all these things that she had saved up to, you know, not be a burden on the family was, was gone. She said that the FBI wasn't doing anything and said, uh, I'm gonna, I wish he was dead. I could kill him. And I distinctly remember her saying it. No, I want, I could kill him. And I was like, Liz, you don't mean it. Like, you know how you do. Like immediately you're like, I, you don't mean that. She's like, no, I could kill him. You know, I want to kill my brother. I wish he was dead. So after the family learns that the money is all gone, tempers start flaring. Edwin books town. He leaves the family lawn care business. He stops communicating with the family. And more information starts coming out of what he was doing. And remember, Andrew Hawes had started this business as a teenager. So Edwin goes off and joins a competing lawn care business and begins stealing clients from the family business. That is so <laughs> messed <a> up. <laughs> Such a rude move. So rude. Right. I will never forget sitting in the dressing room with her on several occasions um, for like, you know, a year and a half, two years. And, and, Every single, every single month, she had something new to say about her brother and her family drama and how much she hated him and, you know, kind of the new information she was finding out. It was, a, it was quite the process that happened with her finding out that her brother was embezzling money from the family company, um, and and she was trying to get the local police. And the and the FBI involved in this embezzlement investigation because she wanted her brother to be caught with what he had done. Uh, we talked about it almost every time we were in, in the dressing room. I would say every time we were in the dressing room and how much she was trying to work on and getting him behind bars and getting him in trouble for what he was doing to the family. So Andrew starts threatening him and Andrew and Elizabeth end up going to the police, hoping to press charges for embezzlement after all their the reported findings of Edwin being an ass and embezzling, stealing and, from his flesh and blood. God, but Edwin was never charged with a crime. And Edwin's mother saw him periodically after the family's findings. And he was actually planning to move into her home, which is kind of weird because he also stole like all that shit from his grandma. No, he stole millions and millions of dollars. And when I was talking to Kat or Georgie, I can't remember which one, they had some insight into why, actually. It does not say in the media at all about where this embezzled money went. But from what I understood from her and what 
her theory was was that he had a very very um giant gambling problem so yeah there was nothing to show for that money and again he lived with a roommate but um i feel like it was definitely um sitting down at a casino about 25 miles away from their house what a waste of money that's why i don't gamble you don't gamble no ever I mean, a slot machine or two. Uh, well, slots are Do dumb. you know how hard I work? I'm not gambling. Blackjack yeah. is so fun. Craps is so fun. Craps is fun because it's communal. You're That's all there. I love it. And there's always that one guy that does the, that bets against the table. And then he yeah, cheers like, when everybody loses. I'm like, dude, just get There's the always the dick. Here. But I love it because it is, everybody, it's very, it's community. Everybody wins together. The energy is amazing. I it's like blackjack, but I don't play it. Oh, I love them. Yeah. I'm but you got, you do it in moderation. Let's just, let's just say that or else you'll end up on the first degree. Yeah, you don't want to be like, you know, Edwin, gambling away your family, your entire family. You savings. definitely don't want to end up like Edwin. You don't. So this fighting was going on within the family due to this embezzlement. And shortly after the siblings, Elizabeth and Andrew, confronted Edwin about the theft, Edwin went to his parents' house to have a conversation with his parents and his sister, Elizabeth. And once he was inside, Edwin told Elizabeth that he was really scared of his brother, Andrew, because Andrew had threatened to kill him and several people had actually heard this threat at, during an argument. And Edwin asked Elizabeth, well, no, Elizabeth asked Edwin if he thought he deserved to be killed. Oh my God. <laughs> and Edwin responded that he just wanted to get everything out on the table so that everyone could see that he didn't steal money. So he was pretty much defending himself and- And denying. And denying and also trying to kind of Playing it like, let's talk about this. This isn't that big of a deal. I didn't do anything. Kind of like placating. Is yeah. that the word? I mean, just completely trying to neutralize and deflect Can, and to absolve himself of any wrongdoing here. I, I will say, though, it is it is incredibly odd for a sibling to ask another sibling, do you think you deserve to be killed? I know. No matter what they've done. It's very strange. <laughs> well, do you deserve it? <laughs> so, right. So needless to say, not much was solved during this conversation. And Edwin eventually moved to a town a different town with a roommate and actually didn't tell his family where he what his address was or where he was living he needs a roommate he needs he's a roommate. stolen millions of dollars and needs a roommate he's a really really bad gambler gambling away all his he's money. a really Wait, bad how gambler. old is he at this time 46 and he needs a roommate he's a gambler woof gambling addict all right so um, not have a roommate elizabeth eventually uh discovered edwin's new address by following edwin home from his daughter's dance recital in spring lake park and a police report documented that incident because edwin made the report when he became suspicious of the vehicle following him so this is already getting weird Weird. it's it's getting it's starting you you see what's going on here this is Mm kind of like game of thrones shit okay (laughs) with a lawn care business right it's like real life Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> real life Game of Thrones set, set in the lawn care business. It's true. Around the same time, Elizabeth and Andrew reported Edwin's alleged theft to several government agencies, including the FBI, the Minnesota Attorney General, and the Robbinsdale Police Department. But Hawes and Andrew were frustrated by the response of the governmental agencies. So one special agent described his encounter with Elizabeth. He explained to her that the theft allegations against Edwin were unfounded and that even if they were true, the statute of limitations barred prosecution of Edwin. So Elizabeth gets pissed and or agitated when she learns of this and asked how the authorities could let Edwin get away with theft. The law enforcement officer who was speaking with Elizabeth said that she then became very volatile and loud, and he described her demeanor as, quote, on fire. Well, so let's talk about this. You said something really interesting in that the statute of limitations 
had expired, which means he had been doing this over years, yeah. which explains why he's kind of destitute living with a roommate. So he could have been embezzling this money. The The family members think they have this nest egg being accrued. Right. And he's been siphoning money the entire time. So probably this embezzlement, it, it's this huge number, but it's because it's over 20 years. And it's that makes more sense. Not that they're unfounded. It's that he did this more than seven years ago. We yeah. can't we can't help you. The statute's expired. That has got to be so frustrating. Incredibly. And her brother, Andrew, of course, who actually suffered from uh, panic attacks, I think. And um, I don't know if he was uh, bipolar or something like that, but it's, um, she was always worried that he was going to hurt himself, um, that her younger brother was going to do something bad because he was so depressed over all of the things that Ed, Ed had done to the family. So things in the family are only getting worse right now. So on one evening, Andrew ended up ramming into Edwin's car and uh, drove him off the road in Minneapolis. And during this time, Edwin's daughter, Avery, was a passenger in the car. And when Edwin's ex-fiance contacted Elizabeth a few days later, Elizabeth said that Andrew could not have hit Edwin's car because he was in Ohio visiting his girlfriend on the day that this all happened. But despite his alleged alibi, Andrew was charged with two counts of second-degree assault, two counts of terroristic threats, and two counts of criminal damage to property because of the incident with Edwin. And a no-contact order was also issued prohibiting Andrew from having contact with Evan, Edwin and Avery after all of that. That is crazy. Ramming him off Ramming the road? Ramming off the road. With a daughter in the car? Yeah. What's the terroristic threat? Just saying I'm going to kill you? Probably. Yeah. 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 So then in September of 2008, Elizabeth contacts Edwin's ex-wife about her brother's visitation schedule with his daughter, Avery, um, was to have with Edwin during that fall. She also asked which car he was using to pick his daughter up. So Elizabeth told Edwin's ex that she needed this information because the authorities were investigating Edwin for theft and were very close to arresting him, and Elizabeth did not want Avery around when they arrested her father. Obviously, we know this is false because the police had already concluded the matter, and the theft allegations, they said, were unsubstantiated. So a few weeks later, Edwin's roommate, Martin Weltman, caught Elizabeth looking around various areas of their house, including the shed on the property. The roommate confronted her, and after she left, he called the sheriff and made a report because he knew there were problems between Edwin and the sister. And two days later, on 924, Edwin obtains a restraining order against Elizabeth. He was afraid of her and believed she was a danger to him. Can you imagine catching a 43-year-old woman lurking around your house? That's <laughs> This is the weirdest story, where it's like she's mad at her brother, so he's she's lurking... And then was like manipulating his ex-wife to get information about where he lives. And his car and everything. Well, the car comes into play. Mm -hmm. The car is relevant. But just the lurking around the house is just bizarro world. Like, what are you looking for? It is bizarro world. It's a really weird time of the year, right? So it's freezing outside, but we're trying to like bundle up and not freeze our buns off. And then you end up sweating, but you're still freezing. I don't understand it, but I hate it. And I've been trying to keep fresh and clean with my new amazing coconut deodorant from Kopari. Kopari's coconut deodorant is aluminum free, vegan, and doesn't contain silicone, sulfates, parabens, GMOs, 
or baking soda. Whether you've got sensitive skin or just don't want a bunch of questionable ingredients on your body, Kopari's deodorant offers a cleaner option that works just as well. It's formulated with plant-based actives like sage oil and coconut oil, so you stay fresh all day. It goes on smooth and doesn't leave behind a sticky white residue. And along with their coconut scent, they offer a fragrance-free version of their deodorant, plus new two scents, beach and gardenia, which are available now. So if you guys want to check it out, go to koparibeauty.com slash first to make the safe switch today and save $5 off your first order when you subscribe. That's K-O-P-A-R-I beauty.com slash first. The report against Elizabeth, the restraining order happened at the end of September. So things are kind of normal in, in respect. I mean, this is a bizarre story and this family is not normal, but a month passes and we arrive at October 30th, two 30 in the morning, two sheriff's deputies were at an Andover golf course about a half a mile from where Edwin lives. And the deputies noticed that a truck that was registered to the Hawes Lawn Service was parked in the parking lot of this golf course. Shortly after they noticed the truck, the officers see a woman emerging from the woods. She's later identified as Elizabeth Hawes. And she explained to the officers that she was in the area visiting a friend to discuss a cancer benefit, which is odd at 2.30 (laughs) a.m. Oh, my God. Come up with a better excuse. Seriously. Say I'm drunk. I want to smoke weed in the woods, do mushrooms. Anything else is more believable. I'm cancer benefit in the middle of the night. Of the night. So she told them her friend's name was Sandy Thompson and that she lived down the road. And the deputies found her story suspicious because they conducted a database search and there was no Sandy Thompson in the area. So... They then searched Elizabeth Hawes, and they learned that there were police reports regarding Elizabeth Hawes and her brother Edwin. And Edwin coincidentally lived a half mile away. And in the reports, the aforementioned reports are these restraining orders. And so given this new information, one of the officers again asked Elizabeth why she was in the area, and she maintained her story that she was visiting a friend. That's when officers decided to check on Edwin, because this is... Bizarro. So weird. So strange. So they went towards Edwin's house to check everything out and they came across Andrew, who was staggering in the middle of the street, and then he ended up flagging them down. He told officers that he was having a diabetic reaction, which okay, after this is gonna be the weirdest night of the It is lives. the strangest story. It's almost like zombie land. It is. Like people are just like emerging. Because from remember the woods. everyone, this is like two thirty three AM. Yeah. So yeah. this is strange. And everybody from this weird household is just popping up, doing saying weird shit like they're discussing a cancer yeah. benefit. They're having a diabetic reaction. Like <laughs> a half a mile from Edwin's This house. is very Fargo. It's, it's strange. And the fact that it's happening in Minnesota is, is perfect. Too, I know. Yeah, this is like, there's just weird stuff going on. It here. is really stranger than fiction. Okay. So he's having a diabetic reaction. So they call an ambulance. And while they're waiting for it to arrive, Andrew told the officers that his truck was at the golf course. They asked him why it was there. And he said that he had gotten to an effect. He'd gotten into a fight with his sister, Elizabeth, and that she had run off. Okay, so you have to realize that they're piecing this together in real time. Yeah. They're like, okay, we just saw Elizabeth. She was strange. This truck. Okay, they're, they're piecing it together little by little. They know why are these siblings here in the middle of the night. The whole thing is just strange. They're very strange. So while this is happening, they're, they're talking to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is still kind of being probed by the police officers. And she tells them that she and Andrew went over to Edwin's house to repossess a Volkswagen Passat that that belonged to Andrew. And it was registered and owned by the business. And Edwin had had kept it even after he'd left the family lawn care business. 
So the officers then asked Elizabeth how they intended to repossess the car, and she pulled out a key to the Volkswagen right out of her sock. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> Ew. It's so strange. Stinky. Then they arrested Elizabeth for violating the um, restraining order. And then after the ambulance tended to Andrew, he just drove away. But mind you, so Elizabeth... Did he really have a diabetic problem? I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. That's a great question. But mind you, so this violation that Elizabeth was thrown in jail for, it was momentarily that she was thrown in jail. I mean, she could get herself out. It's not like a violent offense. She either bailed herself out or was able to just get out. And we see this all the time with with restraining orders and and often it doesn't end well. Right. So the cops eventually check on Ed uh, about an hour later, around 3.30 or 4 a.m. at Edwin's residence and learn from his roommate that neither Edwin nor the Passat were there. So at approximately 2 p.m. later that same day, Edwin's roommate called the police to report that there was a suspicious substance in the driveway resembling blood. So to interject, so the police went there the first time and probably didn't see this because it was the middle of the night. Right. Oh, yeah. Neither did the roommate, probably. Right. And, you know, Edwin, he could be with a woman. He could be. Why didn't he come home? I don't really know. He's an adult man. So the alarm bells weren't going off yet. But then the sun comes up. Elizabeth's already bailed herself out. All the stuff's happened. The roommate gets up and sees blood in the driveway. And then everything, everything changes from this point going forward. So the police get there and they observe pools of blood, smears of what appears to be blood around the property. And they notice something strange at Ed's house. The smell of bleach. So the officer secures the scene, calls in additional law enforcement, and they start collecting evidence. Smell bleach is never a good. I actually sign. like it. I I mean I but like at no a salmonella possi- here <laughs> at a possible crime scene. No salmonella oh, right. here. Yep, right. I dip my chicken in bleach and then yep. eat it. Yep, that's right. I like to mm, yeah bleach chicken. No E. coli here. Mm, mm. Delicious. Just die one day. Okay, so at this point. The worry for Edwin's safety is escalating. I was about to do a show. So I was doing my hair and makeup and I had the TV on behind me. And for some reason, my ears sort of perked up when a missing persons report came across the actual news media in Minneapolis about an Edwin Hawes. Now, I didn't know him as Edwin. I only knew him as Ed. And when I that name my ears perked up I turned around and I saw a picture of him on the news and he was reported as a missing person at that point and I quickly connected the dots that that was her brother and um, it was just it was a fast blurb on the media but um, so we all started to sort of talk so the other girlfriends and one of our guy friends were sort of talking like oh my gosh Edwin Haas is missing like, what is what is behind that? And we couldn't get a hold of Elizabeth. Our other best friend, Dawn, um, was working with Elizabeth during the day at a casting agency called Babs Casting. And we called Dawn, and Dawn was like, yeah, she called in to work. She called in sad to work because she, you know, she struggled with mental illness. And so she was very, she wasn't going to call in sick to work. She would call in sad to work. She was very dramatic and very real about that. And um, so Dawn, of course, was like, I smell something fishy. Like, I, this does not sound right. And I remember my gut just, like, dropping. And I felt so sick. And the police learned that Andrew and his girlfriend, Christina Doran, 
Doradin, whatever. They own a farm in southern Minnesota. A we'll few- just call her Christina going forward. It's a very challenging name to pronounce. Yeah, it's nobody doesn't doesn't matter. Right. So Andrew and Christina own a farm in southern Minnesota, which is a few hours away from where they were right now in a town called Westbrook. So the local police were called called the Westbrook PD to let them know what was going on, and the chief of the head department offered to go check on the property since the police investigating were more than two hours away by car. So when the chief arrived at the farm around eleven. 45 p.m. on October 30th, he brought a few officers with him for backup because he knew that these guys could be dangerous. All right. So to recap, this 2.30 a.m. this day. So this has been going on all day. It was then the afternoon when the roommate called and they discovered the blood in the driveway. Then they did some some recon on this family and learned of this farm. Okay. So that's when they're like, huh, Ed's missing. There is blood. This farm is nice and remote. Let's go check this out. I wonder Just, what could be happening over there. What could be happening over there? So when the officers arrived and they approached the property, they saw what appeared to be a huge fire burning several feet high. And there was a lone person standing by the fire tending it, and that was Elizabeth Hawes. This is, again, straight out of a movie. It's the strangest. She's just stand, yeah. like watching it burn. It's the strangest thing ever. So one of the troopers said of the fire that the fire was almost sizzling, which was kind of weird. It was almost like there was something wet in the fire. Oh. And he looked into the fire and saw what appeared to be human bones, flesh, and a cell phone case, which appeared to have blood on it. So that's when Elizabeth did something strange on top of all the other strange things she was doing. She shivers, she goes closer to the fire and says, that's not a horse we're burning in there. And then she says, that's not my brother, that's not my brother in there. What the hell? So the fire fire department is dispatched to the farm. The fire is quickly put out and the authorities carefully remove the remains of what turns out to be a human body. The deputy tells Elizabeth that they were looking for Edwin and she responds that Edwin embezzled a significant amount of money from the family. At some point during the conversation, she also says, maybe it was in an accident. I hope he dies. He's a very bad man. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) A short time later, the police arrest Elizabeth Hawes. So after she's arrested, Christina, who's Andrew's girlfriend, returns to the farm in a Ford F-350 pickup truck. She told the police that the truck belonged to Elizabeth Hawes. Andrew and his girlfriend, Christina, are also arrested, and the police were able to confirm with certainty that the remains in the fire were Ed Hawes. And they were able to do that through dental records. The next day, it was all starting to connect and the media was picking up on it. And of course, I saw the mugshot of my friend, Elizabeth Hawes, on the news. And I mean, I just broke down crying and I was I was sick to my stomach. And and I couldn't believe that they that she was like arrested in, in connection with this guy's murder. And they had found his body and it was burning and it was Halloween. And... And so I was just sort of in this state of shock and very grossed out. And then I, I, it was either me or Dawn that made the phone call down to George to tell her what was happening. It, I mean, I still shake thinking about it. It, 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 it really affected me, especially that night. My sister had a, um, a location, I guess you call it a location wedding. I was in Cozumel and um, we're sitting at the reception and I get a phone call. And it's from my girlfriend, Dawn. And she says, hey. And she's like, uh, really sorry to bother you. And I was like, 
uh, yeah, girl, what's up? And she's like, um, I was working today at Babs and uh, Liz was supposed to be there. And we found out that she had been arrested. And I was like, whoa, okay. And she goes, for killing her brother. I started to, you know, I had my phone on my head. They're doing like, they're doing like freaking toast at my sister's wedding in, you know, under the gorgeous tropical sky. And I stand up and I start walking away from the table. And my sister-in-law, just like she is, goes, you're picking up the phone right now? What, did somebody die? And I snapped a look at her and I just nodded my head and walked away. <laughs> like, um, yeah, someone died. Yep, exactly. And I'll be honest with you, it didn't. I didn't go. No way. I went. She did it. Wow. She did it. I think it's strange, and I think it really shows state of mind for her. She's not trying to get away with much. No. I mean, I think she's. They kinda, like they walk up to her, and she's probably like looks at them, looks back at the fire. And said, <laughs> like, that's a horse that's- in there. No, she said that's not a horse. Oh, that's not a horse. And it's also not my brother. And it's also not my brother. But I really want him to die. Yeah. Okay. So when we found out that Elizabeth like turned around, turned to the cop and said, that's not my brother in there. That's not my brother. I literally thought, oh my God, she has, she has lost her mind. She, she's having a psychotic break, obviously, you know, and I knew that she was now connected to this. And then that's what she said. Like, no, it doesn't really sound like her. However, like I said before, she was a very dramatic person and very outspoken and opinionated and extroverted. So what I felt like was that she was just sort of saying words. I, I'm assuming that she was very having an outside of her body experience, like out of her body, out of her mind. Like, so strange. Yeah, no, they're not trying to hide anything. So strange. The state of mind has got to be interesting at that point. Mm-hmm. So. So they did the autopsy on Edwin, and it revealed that he died of multiple blunt and sharp force injuries resulting from homicidal violence. One of these injuries was a sharp force wound caused by an arrow that entered through Edwin's chest and exited through his back. So there were extensive injuries to Edwin's head that were caused by three or four blows, likely from a fall or a blunt object and caused fractures to the bones around his left eye, left cheekbone, and the bones inside the deep part of the face. Some type of instrument caused these bones to crush inward and break into multiple small fragments. He also had fractures to his pelvic region, and these injuries were consistent with someone running Edwin over with a car. Holy shit. Shot with an arrow, run over with a car. And blunt force trauma. And blunt force trauma. Yikes. It's crazy. So I want to just summarize what's happened here. So this autopsy determined... What Jack just said, beaten, hit with a car, shot with a crossbow. And the siblings, his siblings have been arrested for killing him and then trying to burn his body in a fire. I mean, that's what we're dealing with here, just to be clear. And the cops all found this out in like less than 24 hours. Correct. Yeah. Like I said, now this is this is the most Game of Thrones thing that you're, you're going to see. So because and so we're going to go over more evidence um, that the investigation uncovered because the police locked down Edwin's house as well as the farm where his body was burned in search for evidence. And they found obviously the blood evidence was the first thing they found weapons around Edwin's property, including two hammers and aluminum bat. So they put this it's like they they hid weapons. So almost as if to get him in like an opportunistic moment. Right. It's the strangest thing I've ever heard. 
And one of the hammers was located next to a wood pile near the shed, which was in a wooded area. The other hammer was located deep in the woods near the west side of the yard. These weapons did not have any blood on them, because the weapons looked new and were free of rust. The police suspected that somebody placed these weapons around the property shortly before the murder, and it was sort of like, all right, we, if we get him over here at this part, or if he's we'll walking a, through the we'll woods We'll need a weapon part, over there. It's like a scavenger yeah. hunt. It's bizarre. Bizarre. Um, you know, they also found that aluminum bat uh, near the wood pile um, uh, that somebody had painted black, too. So there was also, there was blood covering the leaves. They did arts and crafts beforehand yeah. as well. Well, and it's like, why, all right, so why do they paint the weapons? For it's, camouflage or something, uh, you know, in the woods, it's a shiny, you know, aluminum bat. That's, that's so strange. Or maybe they, they just like were feeling creative, feeling crafty. All right. So they find these blood-covered leaves and a pair of men's pants by the uh, by the shed behind Edwin's house, and they also find the excuse me, the can of uh, black spray paint on the west side of the property, together with a jug believed to contain liquid bleach, a broken and torn cell phone holster a cell phone battery, and a broken arrow. And when investigators searched Andrew's house, they found newspaper in the garbage that looked like someone had spray-painted items on it using black paint. And they also found this black spray-paint can in his garage as well. So it's really interesting. Um, So they find blood in the woods. So let's just, from an investigative standpoint, try to piece together. Because shockingly... Considering how crazy the story is, there's not that much available online. So we're going to speculate here. But I think the first blow happened there. Mm-hmm. In the woods. Yes. So because there was his pants, God knows what that's about. But, you know, a little bit of blood. Why? How else would he? I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. That maybe the initial blow, because the blunt force trauma was mm-hmm. probably happened there to subdue him. And then maybe they forced him somewhere. Yeah. You know, because we have to think about when these injuries occurred, because this is there's more than one crime scene involved in this, which yeah. is crazy. And you also have to wonder, too, whether they were going to because he did steal stuff. Obviously, it didn't look like he had any more of the money. The money was all gone. Right. But maybe they were mm-hmm. going to try to take him to a place and try to say, hey, where's the rest of the money or yeah. something like that? Exactly. So there was also evidence of the murder in the location of the woods where police initially spotted Elizabeth when she first emerged by the golf course the previous day. So that means there's there's blood evidence in two different parts of woods. So obviously they've moved him. Mm-hmm. And it, it begs the question, though, where was Edwin when when they were confronted by the police that initial morning? Like when right before his diabetic attack and right before they caught her at the golf course. Where was Edwin? Yeah, it's a good question. And we should just keep it in mind. OK, so you guys remember in our last episode, we had a little a little nice break to have a conversation with James Patterson and we are going to finish that in this episode and I think you guys are going to love it. He's the best. I love him. Here's James Patterson. Liar, liar. I understand it's the third. <laughs> well, we got never, never 50-50 and liar, liar. Never, never Harriet's brother has been accused of these series of gruesome murders. I won't go through the whole thing, but 50-50, we continue on that. And in Liar, Liar, Harriet, who is a detective, is being chased by the police, which is interesting because she's she's suspected of doing a few things she shouldn't have done. And at the same time, a killer who is involved in a big way in the second book, Regan Banks, is... Um, planning to make Harriet his his next victim. So the police are chasing Harriet and this killer, Regan Banks, he's chasing Harriet as well. So she's on the run and uh, 
and 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 and, and uh, she's um, capable of anything, and uh, even more so with with uh, the police and a killer chasing her. Continuing the series after Liar Liar, do you intend to write additional books? Yeah, Hush Hush is the is the next book, and that's um, almost done. And then we'll see after that. And as far as each of these books, specifically Liar Liar. Do listeners need to read the first two to start Liar Liar? Or they no, start? I don't think so. No, I, I, everything that I that I do, I try to make it. Whether it's Alice Cross or Women's Murder Club or or uh, uh, Harriet Blue, so that you can just jump in and you're fine. I mean, I, I feel the same way about Michael Connolly stuff. You can kind of jump in anywhere, and you're you know you're fine. You may want to go back. You know, if you really like the character, but I think it's uh, it's not one of these things where you you jump in, you know, and you're lost uh, at all. Uh, they they all operate as standalones. But I think a lot of times you you read one of the standalones and go, boy, I want to know more about this character. I understand, as you mentioned, you co-wrote this with Candace Fox. How did you guys decide to work together? Well, you know, as I as I alluded to, um, we have the same publisher in England and you know Ireland, Scotland, and, and Australia, New Zealand, and they and they put us together. They thought we might enjoy each other and uh, uh, might be interested in, in, in co-writing something. You know, and we enjoy, and we did uh, get along nicely. And I have a simple thing about, and it relates to the book I did with President Clinton, and also with a book that I did with a, an author from Sweden, uh, Lisa Markland. And um, I remember when, when, you know, if you do a book in America, you're lucky if you get, you know, one interview or two interviews. When Lisa and I did the book in um, Postcard Killers, uh, I went over to Stockholm and we had 47 interviews from all over Europe, which was amazing. They're much more into um, reading and books over there than here. (laughs) Uh, They're all into podcasts um, now over here. Yeah. They... um, the reporters, I mean, and they also, the questions, you know, here they tend to ask the same questions over and over again. But in Europe, frequently they'll ask questions that you you weren't expecting, historical perspective, sociological perspective, psychological perspective, you know, whatever. But the one question that they kept asking you know, over and over and over again was, how would uh, an American and somebody from Sweden ever get along? Because they just couldn't, you know, believe it. I guess there had been that uh, one of the automobile companies had been involved with Ford, and that didn't work out very well. And um, and, and what we said was the the reason it worked was because we started out with mutual respect, and then we listened. And and that's exactly what happened with President Clinton. We started out with mutual respect, and then we listened to one another. And that's exactly what what what's happened with um, Candace and I. You know, we started out you know admiring the books that we'd written, or most of the books that we'd written, uh, and then we listened to one another, which is um, you know I, th- I think that's that's how it can work. This is my final question, and you're probably not going to have an answer, but I'm just curious of how you'll respond oh, well, anyway. Oh, watch this then. <laughs> that kind of a challenge. <laughs> Do you have a favorite book that you've written? And I know you've written many, 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 yeah, many books. Yeah, you know, it's it's the characters. Obviously, you know, I, I really enjoy uh, Alex Cross. And, uh, you know, if I stop being curious about what makes him tick, I don't think I'll write any more about him. I enjoy The Woman's Murder Club. I like a lot of the kid stuff, Maximum Ride, which I wrote for YA audience. James, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. We're excited to okay, have you on. Perfect. Yep, thanks. Thank you. 
So if that didn't make you guys want to pick up one of his books, I don't know what is going to. Yeah, I ordered like five of them after I talked to him. Well, I, I love have, him. I have mine in my car right now. I'm probably right. going to read it when I get home. Exactly. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Aloe Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Aloe Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to Aloe Moves com and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries a state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. When it was coming out that there were several different weapons used and um, the crossbow was coming into play and a baseball bat and a car and there being um, human matter on the front of this car and underneath the car, they had definitely hit him with it. Um, and, you know, all of these murder weapons being found that were spray painted black, like it definitely sounded really dark and very chaotic. I was like trying to piece it together in my head of like how this could have, how this could have played out. Cause I'm like, okay, so, you know, you're always trying to think like, how did it go wrong? Did, did he come out and try to keep them from getting the car? So, so she, you know what I mean? Jumped out and then he got behind the car trying to block it. They ran over him and then, I don't know. I have no idea this, how this crossbow got into it and the, the bloodiness of it, the gruesome craziness of actually hitting him on the head. And I mean, they, they tried, I mean, I, there's like four different like styles of murder in this where <laughs> hitting, there's a crossbow, there's a bat, there's a hammer, and there's a mallet in the car, plus they ran over the guy. I mean, that's a lot of hate right there. That's a lot of hate. So there was also an area behind a utility box at the edge of a parking lot where investigators found a crossbow, a quiver containing a single arrow, and then a separate arrow, like on the ground. And someone had painted the label on the interior side of the bow in the fins of the arrow, and it was all painted black. So... Maybe black is, like, significant of something. strange. Odd. Investigators also located a one-gallon plastic bleach jug with a blue screw top that was empty, a brown jacket, a pair of white latex gloves with blood on them, and those were located about 10 feet from the jacket that they found. So fingerprint analysis revealed that there was a palm print found on the bleach jug that belonged to Andrew. Investigators found a black spray paint can on a desk similar to the paint found at Andrew's residence. So this desk that they're referring, this is to the office of the lawn care business. Mm. So DNA analysis also revealed that Andrew's DNA was on the exterior of a white latex glove and Edwin's DNA was found on the interior of the gloves, so which means they put them? gloves on him at some point. Oh, my God. This is the strangest. And this is like why we're going to stop at every phase to just theorize about what could have possibly happened. I mean, it, they were having like a, a. He was alive for a long time. Yeah. It, relatively in in this day and it's like you think maybe they put gloves on him so we don't want 
like your fingerprints, fingerprints in our in car, our car. Yeah. or in the office yeah. if you've been here in you know 18 months or wherever they brought him so they were trying to think this through but it's like they're trying to think it through yet their dna and fingerprints and shit are literally everywhere well i think they were expecting to have time to clean it up because they were they're... expecting to have time to clean it up and also time they're going to burn the body and you know they they Dispose have a plan this is what's going on in the criminal mind right now they they've really planned this out so much so that they were leaving weapons in the woods yeah so the, in their mind and they've been wanting to get revenge for this the stealing of the money for so long in their mind they think that they have all bases covered right so it gets even crazier so the police also conducted analysis forensic analysis at the haas lawn service as i mentioned they did luminol testing on the surfaces within the business and determined the presence of blood there was blood on the floor blood by the entrance on the walls a light switch and an office chair they also discovered several holes in a cushion of a couch and when the investigator looked to the back side of the couch there were exit holes that actually dinged the wall so whatever was being projectiled towards the couch actually went all the way through and hit the wall and they found numerous holes in the sheetrock of the back wall that were relatively close proximity to each other and the projectile that went through these holes almost went through the metal siding on the outside of the building they believed it was very possible that a crossbow would be powerful enough to make these holes. Did they, is there anywhere in this research that said either one of them was like, did archery? No, like not that I could find, but this is what's fascinating. So again, we're going to pause to, to go through the scenario here. So we've got two bloody scenes in two parts of woods, probably where they, they confronted Edwin initially, maybe brought him to part two Phase two, where they picked him up in a truck. Yeah. yeah. They brought him to the office. They probably sat him down on this couch and were trying to scare him into admitting where money was or how he did right. it. They were probably shooting next to him to yeah. scare him. Yeah. I mean, you could see it unfolding. Yeah. And the, the, the idea that whether they thought they were going to get money out of him or whether they wanted to bring him back to one of the scenes of his earlier crime, which is the family business. And it's mm -hmm. like, we're going to, we're going to bring him back here. Not just because they knew that you know, nobody would be there, but, and they have control of that environment, but also that it's, it's significant. It's a significant place. I mean, this is where this is, he stole money from the, the, the majority of the money that he stole was from the business. Right. And to actually take him and beat the hell out of him and kill him at the business. That's, that's significant. Full circle. Completely. So, I mean, it's bananas. It's bananas that I get they're angry at their brother, but this is a very tormented... And it's it's very stretched out, right? So it's like not a crime of passion in a sense where it's like you accidentally strangle somebody. And you're like, shit, I didn't mean to do that. But it was like three minutes long. Like this is an elongated, planned out where you could have had every chance to be like, to are we going? Off. And you have yeah. another person to go off of. So it's to like, go, yeah, th th see, that's the, that's the crazy thing. Not only are they siblings, but there's, there's two siblings, but we don't know who, I mean, we don't know if it's one, two, it could be one of them. It could be both of them. We don't really know. It, and the evidence doesn't say really who did what. Yeah. But to your point, Jack, it's like they went through the effort of, painting the fins on each arrow like that's it sounds like it's like it's like war preparation yeah. you know it's like i can just imagine it but when you're that angry at someone and you're stewing oh there anything it was possible, brewing in there for a long time it was like a really long time 
So there was physical evidence on the pickup truck as well, suggesting that someone used the truck to transport Edwin's body. And that evidence included an orange towel with blood on it from the passenger compartment of the truck. The blood on this towel matched Edwin's, and which is not shocking. And there's also a ten- tennis shoe with an arrow sticking out of it. It's like they were torturing him. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he was probably tied up and they shot him in the foot with a crossbow yep. to be like, we're not f***ing around. Mm-hmm. Because how else do you explain that? No. They found Unless- a tennis shoe with an arrow sticking out of it. Can you imagine what the police were thinking? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's like a game of Clue. That's what I'm saying. It, it, it's so like convoluted and just yeah, overkill. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. So, <clears throat> in addition to that, there are also two bleach bottles and a pair of rubber gloves in the back of the truck. The police found Edwin's Volk, Volkswagen Passat in a church parking lot in Golden Valley and collected physical evidence from the vehicle as well. The car was locked and there are no keys inside when they found it, but there was biological matter found on the left front light and the front grill and a large amount of blood present on the underside of the car and blood smearing extended from the front of the vehicle to the tailpipe. So now there's his blood and biological, biological matter. matter in this car and the pickup truck. Yeah. So wh- wh- it means they, they hit him with this car and they transported him in the truck. Right. Do we want to oh, talk about... Oh, because it's the left front driving light and the front grill. Do you they, think this... So they hit him with his own car, too. Do you too. think... Well, it again, was the family business's Again, and that was the family, family, family car. Yeah. Again, again, symbolic. It's like, we're going to hit you with Weird. the car that you supposedly stole from right. us. But, like, do we think this was the final Blow. violence? Do you think this killed him? The car? Getting I run think, over? I think they subdued him with the bludgeoning. Mm-hmm. I think they... When they crossbow no, but him. the crossbow went, went through, through his him. chest. I mean, but if it was a clean... I mean, it, it, there's a possibility it didn't hit any anything vital it I mean, definitely hit a lung how do you not hit anything vital going through your, through chest, your chest all the way through i, I mean know. i guess it could pierce like you could have a collapsed lung and live yeah so maybe it oh. didn't kill him but like it's i don't even want to know where he was when that was happening either probably on the couch at work but yeah. i wonder if they found blood on the couch they didn't say mm, they just found like the, the i think holes. just the torment holes but again, again, guys, thing. this is us speculating because there's so little available about yeah. this. But it makes sense. I mean, we're piecing the evidence together. It makes sense. Right. So this uh, this is still in it, on Edwin's car. There was blood on the front passenger headlight, driver's, front, driver's side front tire, rocker panel area on the driver's side, the bottom portion of the driver's door, and the left rear quarter of the vehicle. There's also a 14-inch blood smear on the rear bumper on the driver's side. And there were some fabric impressions within the smeared blood on the driver's side rear fender. Woof. And then to top it all off, the investigators found a three-pound sledgehammer with blood deposits in the trunk of the Passat. And that hammer was similar to those two hammers a that were found at the murder scene. So, Where do you even buy a sledgehammer from? Home Depot. Uh, Home Depot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like thinking of like or- Orchard Supply Hardware, Lowe's. I just can't. I was like, what would you use a sledgehammer Where do you for? buy a sledgehammer? I don't know. Yeah. So, and also telephone calls reflected, or, or excuse me, telephone records reflected numerous calls between Elizabeth and Andrew just before the murder. So they're talking back and forth and they're probably like, we're finally going to do it. We're finally going to oh do it. God. And then they stop in, in, you know, during the time of the murder and then they start up again afterwards. Every car comes with its fair share of stories. The ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up your first date or the luxury package that you got after a big promotion. Right now, my car is sitting leaking oil in my garage. That's not a good story, but it's a story. And while you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. 
All you have to do, go to True Car. You simply enter your license plate number and you watch how your car's details pop right up. Then you answer a few questions. Do you have navigation on the moonroof? Then you watch as they bump up your value. If you have high mileage, you already knew that was going to cost you, but now you know exactly how much it's going to ding your wallet so you can plan ahead. And we like planning ahead in 2019. Once you're finished, you get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. And True Cash Offer is not available in all areas. Okay, so at this point, the siblings are in custody, Andrew and Elizabeth. Christine has also been arrested. And one of the police officers said Elizabeth was doing strange things, and Jack is going to have a field day with this, while she was in custody. He said that she was evasive and seemed very awkward. She said many times that she was an actress and showed, showed, this is him speaking. She showed me her SAG card many times. I thought she was acting. This is what the police officer said? Yes. So in, as she's being questioned, after she's arrested, she's just talking about being an actress and showing her SAG card. Oh my God. I, I, again, I feel like it's sort of, it's very odd. It's very odd that she would sit there and sort of brag to the officer how she's an actress and... And that she has a SAG card and that, you know, kind of what she was, who she was professionally. Again, I don't know if she thought that that was going to somehow change the cop's mind or if, you know, if she was trying to prove that she could, like, she was acting a part and not in real life. Again, it just speaks to this sort of possible, probable psychotic break that was happening and if she was off her meds and it was very important to her. To, to to say that because it was it was in real life it was very important to, to her that she was an actress she was a successful actress and a successful freelancer in town and and she was you know a full time like um in her in her element and and very good at her craft by the way. So Elizabeth claimed post arrest that she did not kill Edwin and she didn't encourage encourage her brother Andrew to kill him either, claiming that she had no idea that Andrew had planned to kill Edwin, which is interesting because she was like there for the whole thing, but whatever. Her account of the day was that she left to work around 4.45 p.m., then bought a ticket for their light rail and rode the train home. She did a few errands around the house and visited her mom, then returned home around 8 p.m., and her husband Daniel was home. Then Andrew came to the house about an hour later. So at some point, Andrew asked Elizabeth to help him get the Passat back from Edwin Elizabeth said no, and she was tired and didn't want to help him, but Andrew persisted, and eventually she gave in and drove with him to the Hawes Lawn Service truck to Andover. During this drive, Andrew gave Elizabeth the key to Edwin's Volkswagen Passat. They eventually arrived at a golf course and got out of the truck. They started walking down a residential street, and Elizabeth asked Andrew why they were not at Edwin's house with the Passat. Andrew yelled at Elizabeth, and this is when she walked away from him, and the police later found her at the golf course. All right, so, so that's her story. That's her story. Police don't believe that story. And they learn of this feud between all of them. The tension between the Hawes siblings was several years old. And apparently Andrew and Elizabeth had talked about killing Edwin for many times in front of multiple people. And when Elizabeth's husband, Daniel, is questioned, he told authorities that he heard his wife and Andrew planning to kill Edwin several times, but didn't want to believe it. I want to take this moment, because I know we set Daniel up in the beginning as a player here, but conveniently, you don't hear about Daniel very much. Yeah. So it's because we learned this from either court documents or from news reporting. 
Daniel was not charged with anything. But apparently, I know, Jack, you asked about this crossbow thing. Apparently, I it's maybe his crossbow. Mm. And yeah, so he was not charged. But but Kat and Georgie both think. Sorry, you guys, if I'm wrong about this, one of you or both of you said that you believed that Daniel did it mm-hmm. and that when they were over there, it was like he was really angry about Edwin and protective of his wife. As far as her marriage to Daniel goes, um, you know, they got married and she was madly and they were madly in love. They got married. She felt madly in love like the man of her dreams that she never thought she'd find. And six months later, he got into a biking accident um, and had traumatic brain uh, damage from that and um, and became a different person. She's like, what are you going to do? Like, you don't just leave someone after that happens, you know? Um, I just now have a, I, I'm now married to someone that I did not ask to be married to, basically. I do have a theory about, I feel like, how it, how it actually played out. Um, I do think there's something we don't know about Liz's husband, and that's his name is Daniel. Um, from what I know is that Daniel also had a, a huge hatred towards Ed, and uh, you know, obviously fueled by his wife's um, you know relationship with her and brother, and and the money embezzlement thing, and and I. But when I when I think about Daniel and I think about when he was telling us how much he hated him, it seemed much more intense even than Liz's hatred. And he had a traumatic brain injury, so he wasn't the easiest to read. Um, but if you were talking to him, you, you wouldn't really notice that he had a traumatic brain injury, except for that he spoke a little bit slower than than before that happened. But just to me, I feel like he's got a big part in this. And what I feel like his part in it was, ironically, was the brainstorming of it. I feel like Daniel definitely helped her sort of come up with the, the how to do it, how to cover it up. And I 100% believe that she had a, a huge hand in it, if not the person that actually murdered him. So, but what I think we have here is maybe... Maybe he's involved, maybe he's not. If he was involved, he just took a deal. Maybe he cut a deal. Yeah. Exactly. So we have to keep that in mind because Daniel's conveniently missing from from everything. Right. Yeah. It's either because he wasn't there, which is possible, or it's because he cut a deal. So we just got to keep that in mind going forward. And mm-hmm. we're not saying one or the other. We don't know. But we only have what's been provided right. through the courts. So he told them that their plan included Christina dropping off Andrew near Edwin's Andover residence and using the crossbow to kill Edwin. Then Andrew would load Edwin's body into that Volkswagen and then get rid of the car and the body and make it look like he just skipped town. He also said that on the night of the murder, Andrew showed up at their home and it looked like Andrew had been in a struggle. Andrew then said he'd repossessed the Passat. Very cryptic. I've repossessed the Passat. Mm. I like how possessed is also like you can get taken over by a demon. Mm-hmm. It's like a little bit of a... I repossessed the Passat. Exactly. Also sounds like a euphemism for something, too. It, cer- it certainly yeah. does. It certainly does. So just when you think this story can't get any more bizarre, any stranger, the police make a discovery. And they actually don't make a physical discovery. They're told by those who were analyzing what was found in the fire pit. 
So while the bone fragments of Edwin were being, they were brought to the medical examiner's office and they were analyzed. The medical examiner and a forensic anthropologist reconstructed Edwin Haas's remains. And then this is what happens when, when you find um, bones, you really, it literally, it's like, like it says, you know, you, you lay them out on a table and you're really reconstructing the body to make it look like um, a skeleton. So mm-hmm. they're doing this and then they discover, wait a minute. We what have, they discover? We have, we have some extra bones here. Uh-oh. That's right. So, and, and another thing I read, too, when I was researching this is that his remains were reduced to 40 pounds. So, Whoa. I don't know what he weighed originally. Um, probably 200, you know? What How is much it? do bones weigh of a human body? That's a great question. I don't know. But I know that his, re- his remains were reduced to 40 pounds, 40-ish pounds. So, probably that's what a skeleton... I don't know. How much does a skeleton weigh? You look it up while I'm talking about this stuff. So what they found extra during this reconstruction, an extra fibula, jawbone, and left eye orbit. And a human body wouldn't have two jawbones and two left eye sockets and three fibulas. So what does this mean? This means that somebody else's body had been burned in that fire pit. Now, biological anthropologists and archaeologists were consulted and confirmed with 100% certainty that a minimum of two partial human bodies were present in the fire pit. More than six months down the line, we were following these articles. There was this article that came out about other human remains in the fire pit where they had burned their brother, or tried to burn their brother. Um, and it was just sort of like a, a, like a sentence or two at the end of this article that we had read. And I remember George and, and my jaw just dropping like, are you kidding me? Who is this person? When are we going to find out more information about that? Is there a way to determine when these bones were from? Like, was that there previously or was that being burned at the same time? Or that's, is there a way to determine that? That's a great question. And it, that would be like a chemist to answer that. Because I know that they can do isotope testing. Which does what? Which, which can determine... A variety of factors. For example, it can determine what kind of water they were drinking, what kind of diet mm. it consisted of. Like, you know more yeah. about this because I was listening yep. to the Bear Brook. Bear Brook, and they yeah. did isotope testing on exactly. it. But then the isotope testing that they did, it was it really, it was a pretty wide swath. And just, they could also do pollen testing on, on, on clothing. They did that. It'll tell and, you, know, you so. like what region you were raised yeah. in, what diet you were raised with. If you, They can determine if you were raised in Asia based on what they were eating the most of. Things yeah. like through that. Bones. Yes. Through through. So do they... Did they do that on those other bones? I, de- I, I don't. I don't. Think, I, don't I don't think, think so. Yeah. No. So. Oh no. But my question, I guess, was more so: was that body or was that person killed in being uh, in that fire at the same time? Like, was that during the, the crime against the same time, or no, could that have been that, I don't from know. years before? They can probably determine that. That information hasn't been released. I mean, I guess you could probably tell if something was burned more significantly than something else yeah, right because it was uh, it was double burned and and right. you could see that if it was charred and then charred again yeah but so. i did read something about them not being able to determine determine how long or when you know because mm-hmm. also there are a lot of variables in a fire like the center of a fire is much hotter what if one part of a body was there and mm-hmm. um you know the nucleus of the fire, so to say, and the other was kind of on the outer, less less hot version of part of the fire. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And there are a lot of unanswered questions. the The topic of these remains are really elusive, and we're we're going to get into it. And odds are that it wasn't. This is just where they disposed of whoever they wanted to kill. 
you know. So once the police were made aware of the discovery of the extra bones, they conducted a fresh search of the fire pit, and they found several more more uh, small bone fragments. And the investigators, they knew so little about the bones. Um, they didn't know how long they were there. They immediately turned to DNA testing to put a name to the remains. However, it was determined that bone fragments found in the pit were too small for DNA testing. So it's hard to pull DNA from bones. This They probably, they did this when, and this is 2008. Um, they, you know, the testing is so much better now that they might be able to pull it. Uh, mm-hmm. With a couple of people that I've been talking to that are, um, it's weird. It's kind of like, some of the people that I've been talking to are like the dinosaur people. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. kind of merging Jurassic Park with crime, which I, which is oh, kind of fun. Cool. But uh, they're able to pull, you know, they're starting to be able to pull old hair, which they haven't been able to do before, like hair um, that, that doesn't have the root in it. They're able to pull mm-hmm. DNA from and also from old bones as well. So they might be able to take these bones and, and with current testing and be able to find out who it was. Who the hell it is? Yeah. It's so crazy. Well, what's interesting is, so the last reporting I read on this was in 2011. Um, and they discussed that they were doing DNA testing on the bones, but there was no reporting afterwards. So I'm going to make an assumption in that you can't always extract DNA from bone, yeah. especially 10 years ago. You know, I just figured we would find out something that was just going to keep unfolding and keep shocking us. But in reality, nobody ever figured out whose other remains are in there. And it still to this day is bizarre and it drives me crazy that they have never followed up especially in in this day and age where we can test dna so much more clearly and figure out who the other person in the fire pit is who is it how is it done was this person missing is it is it part of the story or is it completely random i don't know so everyone i've talked to about this case including cat and georgia are expressed frustration over there not being any developments and Likewise, I'm frustrated too. Yeah. But I feel like they probably didn't report. Like, actually, we can't. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's no, like they didn't gonna, find yeah. anything. Well, yeah. it's just, and nothing came out with like them having any tiffs with anybody else or a missing person around that area. It's just so odd. I mean, that- that's the thing. But we've got so many unidentified. We've got between forty to sixty thousand unidentified remains in storage lockers and in mass graves that the police just don't have the the wherewithal one or the manpower or the the money to run to to pull dna from them and then either run it through codis or run it through um you know a genealogy website right right which sucks man it does suck so what were they charged with though so elizabeth and andrew haas were charged with aiding and abetting secondary murder um so was andrew haas's girlfriend christina who like andrew and elizabeth uh, was found by the authorities at the fire. Because she pulled up in the truck. Right. In the truck that was used to transport the body. Yeah. Elizabeth's truck. So she really got herself into a yeah. sticky a situation that she had like nothing to do. Like, right. Th- this very well could have been girlfriend. A, she wouldn't have even gotten it. I just completely think of Fargo in this thing. Like, you know, like they when the guy is uh, at the end of the movie when he's putting his friend into, uh, he's putting Steve Buscemi into the wood chipper mm-hmm. and then, <laughs> then he gets caught right then. It's like the exact same thing. So crazy. Happening in Minnesota, everything. So, of course, each person has their own side of the story. Andrew's story was that Elizabeth Hawes' husband, Daniel, was the one who shot Edwin with the crossbow. However, Daniel claimed that there was no way, shape, or form, that he was no way, shape, or form involved in the murder. Elizabeth said that she learned of Edwin's death only after Andrew told her and that she was stunned. And although she did say that that she drove the pickup truck with Andrew to the farm with Ed's body, she claimed to not know what was going on and didn't know that he was going to burn Edwin's remains. I kept thinking, how could this get any worse? 
why am I in the middle of a Stephen King thing? Why isn't my life normal? She said. She said, and then she said that Andrew built the fire in the fire pit and that he slid something out of the truck that looked like my brother wrapped in a brown fuzzy blanket. Oh what the f***? But we have to say this. The evidence doesn't say who. So it is possible that Andrew did this. Remember, they, find, they found the newspaper with the spray paint at Andrew's. Right. But Elizabeth was lurking around the house, maybe hiding weapons. Who knows? Or maybe she was just lurking around. But we don't know who did what. And there's always that possibility that Andrew killed him and was like, dude, I need your truck. And then she went up. But, you know, she did threaten talk about wanting to kill him a lot. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, a bunch of times, you know. All right. Well, maybe not. No, you can play devil's advocate. That's totally it fine. It just doesn't seem like something done by one person. Yeah, well, there's that too. Yeah. And it was so the, bringing the moving the body around and moving him, even when he's he's partially kind of partially alive, kind of you know, moving this this dead weight around, almost dead weight. That's sounds not like he's one alive. Person. It sounds yeah. like he's alive until the car. Yeah, it sounds like he's. But you're still moving dead weight around. But they got to right. move him, and he's like probably stumbling or whatever because he's got the head injury. Head injury. They got to get him into a car, get him over to the lawn place. Shoot him with a crossbow, oh do whatever then, and then take him and then put him in the car. How does your compassion not at some point kick in? That and especially for two people, that's it's like the it's not like a shared delusion, obviously, but it's like shared. Maybe it is. For, it maybe is a shared delusion in that, like you know, they have they share this anger, and it, it turns into like not a mob, each other. not a mob mentality, but kind but, of. You know, especially if you're isolated, it's in the middle of the night, there's no one else, there's no voice of reason, you know, it's possible. But you don't think at some point, like some nostalgia, yeah. because... For like, um, do you remember like when we were five and six years old at Christmas or, or something Or just like any lines? normal human emotion. Well, like, Well, exactly. And so when um when the mother, so Elizabeth has a trial and the mother's name is Dee Haas. And she talked on the stand about how they took piano lessons together and Edwin Elizabeth, you know, she put Ed in some of her plays and... You would just think at some point nostalgia that that love would kick in. Like, hey, my brother's a sick guy. Like, he's a gambling addict. He's sick. He's selfish. But, you know, you'd think that somewhere deep down, unless, like, they're in psychosis and they're, they snapped. But two people? Yeah. In snapping as you're painting weapons and, and conspiring, it yeah, seems... I'm like, like, sure, delusion, but, like, that's not the right word. I think just the, the anger was building up in these people for so long that it was... He, this was they had a mission and they were going to accomplish it and they they became one person i, I think yeah. at some point totally and uh you know you wonder if if two people could have done this if they weren't a family you know what i mean it, the Probably family not. the family component of this is just such the thing that you know i you forget when you're going through this like wait a minute these people are all related and they're, yeah. they're brother and sister yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's so fascinating but like i was saying before the mother did take the stand and what she also said was that Elizabeth is a good girl. She's a healer. She's co- a compassionate person and described her as the family problem solver. Yeah. Well, she got rid of Edwin. Yeah, she solved and that was some the problem. problem. Ugh, it's awful. It, it is awful. You know, she's essentially the family social director and the most dependable of her children. And she also said that she didn't believe her daughter was capable of hurting her older brother, Edwin. And many who witnessed Dee on the stand said that her testimony in such a peculiar case where one of her other children is the victim was especially riveting. And she said of 2007 and which was the year leading up to this event, their landscaping business dissolved. 
over these allegations. And also her husband killed himself. So she was particularly, you know, vulnerable and just talked about the distress the family had gone through Mm -hmm. in this time. So Elizabeth gets life without parole. Andrew gets life without parole and is also sentenced to 122 months after being found guilty on the additional charge of obstruction of justice for disposing of the evidence. The charges against Christina are dropped because she had apparently been living in Ohio for six months before Edwin Hawes' death. She had been in town visiting for a few days when he was killed in October 2008, so there was very little evidence that she conspired with them. And Daniel was not charged with anything, which leads you to believe that maybe perhaps he uh, was completely innocent or he might have cut a deal. Well, what's interesting is that the fact that Andrew blamed Daniel, there must have been some evidence implicating him in some way. You know, he must have been there for some portion because you wouldn't just point to a guy who who there's no evidence of this guy at the scene at all throughout any of this right either by phone records or elizabeth or or whatever i mean there's got to be something again a very elusive subject in this case which is why we're kind of prefacing with the fact that it's possibly did nothing it's possible there's a lot more to the story right I feel like if you have friends that are saying they want that they wish somebody was dead, I mean, as much as she was saying it to us, I felt like we just sort of skimmed over the fact that she was saying, I wish my brother was dead. I mean, she was so mad and angry and had all this hatred that that sort of rhetoric of wanting or wishing somebody was dead, that we can't take that lightly. We cannot take that lightly, especially nowadays. And. And we should be listening to people that that say those kinds of things. I did not want to get involved with this because I knew that I, uh, I, I knew that I knew that she had actually said to me I, I wanted to kill him, and I didn't want to. I did not want to be the person. I don't know how it happened. I don't, you know. I certainly didn't want to help get her convicted. I don't know. I don't. I'd never been afraid of her. I never thought that she was a a bad person. As far as I knew, I kind of believed everything she said about her brother. That he was a f-ing asshole and, you know, did he deserve to die? No. But if he did all these horrible things that she said, I didn't want, I mean, I wasn't going to protect her, but I certainly wasn't going to help her go to jail. There was something already brewing, in my opinion, in that body that was really dark that was probably irreversible so what do we think guys don't fight with your siblings don't embezzle money (laughs) what are we taking away from this right god don't well don't gamble there's one thing i just thought of that i forgot to mention another thing d said on the stand uh which is the mother of these haas siblings it was that she believes ed edwin is a sociopath yeah that so he is probably a bad guy he probably was a bad guy Mm -hmm. you know but what his siblings did is also sociopathic is is worse than stealing money worse than stealing money again and that's it goes back to the fact where it's like was there not a time when you guys were doing this that you felt a little bit bad like even their behavior afterwards whether they're in some like psychotic break of a mindset people like you're saying it's weird they're just kind of like putzing around waiting by the fire not trying to really clean anything up yet like 
that behavior is so odd for like a normal minded person. Especially they knew that they were interrupted by the police. Yeah. yeah. By then they are like, shit, they saw us by his house. We're, you know, yeah. she had already been arrested and then bailed herself out yeah. for the violation of the restraining order. Yeah, she should have skipped town. But then is that another, <laughs> right? Is that another narcissistic thing where it's like, you just think you're like above yeah, she's the an law? Actress. Yeah. She, well, well, she is an actress. Yeah. Uh, you know, guys, it's just, it's a head scratcher. This one, that because just... I've never heard of a case like this. No, this is a strange one. I'm surprised that we, that has, it has not been turned into something. Um, it really is. It's made for, uh, made a for at least a lifetime movie. Mm hmm. It would be actually a very good lifetime movie. All right. Well, well right now I've got the, we've got we the go. IP to make it we ourselves. So, <laughs> thank you, Kat and Georgie. I really appreciate it. We all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, this episode came from Kat. Kat sliding into our DMs. So, if you guys are connected to a murder or other stranger than fiction story that could be made for a lifetime movie, please write us um, on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Uh, you can DM us. Or write us at hello at the first degree podcast dot com and that's it. Happy love yourself day. Happy love yourself day and happy Valentine's Day too to everyone. That's yeah, bullshit. Um, keep your family close, but not that close. Hell yeah. Bye. Over and out. <laughs> this episode quotes and relied heavily upon research and reporting done by the Pioneer Press.